0: Alone on the word of God, the B. I. B. L. E. The B. I. B. L. E. Yes, that's the book for me. <gasps> what are you doing? Uh, nothing. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the final week of the Good Book series. I'm excited to land the plane today. It's been a great series. It's been a fun series to pe- preach, but, man, it's been a lot of information. I know some of you have been overwhelmed by all the information. My mind has been overwhelmed uh, as well, so I'm excited to land the, the, the plane on this series today. If this is your first time, what we've been doing throughout this series is, is simply trying to address some issues, answer some questions that, that people have in regards to the Bible, questions and, and issues that prevent many people, and maybe from you, uh, from describing the Bible as as good, and before I jump into what we're talking about today, just know that what I'm what I, we're really honing in on today, really the last few weeks and a lot of the information we covered, I can't go back and review. But but what I'm talking about today, I'm referring a lot back to that, and just assuming that 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 you, you you've got that information. And so if you weren't here, go back and listen to watch, watch those messages later, or if you were, even go back and, and, and review those messages again because it's a it's a lot of information. But j- just so you know, the one thing I do want to you is the big idea for this series that which which is the, the big idea that I really hope you remember about the 66 documents the 66 books that make up what we call the Bible is that the purpose of the Bible is not primarily for our information but for our transformation we discovered that God didn't reveal what he did through the writers of scripture simply to answer all of our questions or or simply to just give us more information about himself which is why the goal my goal throughout this series was not to answer all your questions or address all your issues because that's just simply not possible my goal throughout this series has been that we all take one step closer toward viewing and engaging with the bible through the lens that god uh, of god's intended purpose for it uh which is to lead us to jesus equip us to follow jesus so that we're transformed by jesus into who he created us to be so throughout this series spent a ton of time focusing on how to view the bible through the proper lens and now today what we're going to discover is, uh, we're going to focus on is how to engage with it through the proper lens and really how to read it. Which is interesting. From, from my experience, many people's questions and issues with the Bible aren't so much about what's, with, 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 with what's in it, but with reading it. See, see for some of you, you, you want to know more the Bible more. You want to understand the Bible more, but you just don't know how to. You've tried to read it before. Maybe you even had a Bible plan. You're like, the purpose of every book is to finish the book, and so I'm going to have a Bible plan on how to read this thing in a year. And you maybe had that Bible plan and started reading it, and then you stopped, right? You stopped two weeks in, and you stopped because you're just like, I don't understand all this. This is confusing. This is boring. It's overwhelming. It's intimidating. And you just kind of concluded that, like, man, I'm not smart enough, and I'm not educated enough in, in, like, Bible knowledge to read this thing and understand it. And I guess the only people who can really understand it are, like, Bible scholars that go to school for this type of stuff. And really trying to read it has just led to nothing but frustration with it. For for others, the Bible has always been a religious textbook for you. Maybe you were made to read it. Your parents made you read it or you had to read it. You're going through confirmation or or CCD and you, you were told you had to read it to get all the correct information about God so that you can be more religious. But for you, you're like, I ain't trying to be more religious, so I'm not even sure why I should read this, because this is an old, outdated, irrelevant, detached-from-real-life, real-world book. Now, this is important. You've got to know that God didn't reveal what he did through the writers of Scripture, uh, only so scholars can understand it. The the writers of Scripture were writing to normal, everyday people, most of who were uneducated, many of actually who were illiterate. And we talked about this as well, that God didn't reveal what he did through the writers of Scripture simply for our information, and he especially didn't reveal what he did through the writers of Scripture so that you can be more religious. I've said many times throughout this series that God revealed what he did through the writers of Scripture primarily for our transformation. You've got to remember that God's intended purpose for giving us this book is to lead us to Jesus Equip us to follow Jesus so that we're transformed by Jesus into everything he created us to be. But that actually happening gets down to the uh, one word that we're going to discover today. And before I reveal this word to you, you've got to know that if you can keep this one word front and center when you pick up one of these... If you can keep this word front and center, whenever you read a passage of scripture, not only are you going to understand the Bible more, but it's going to become the most exciting thing you've ever read. If you can keep this one word front and center, the Bible's going to become the most relevant tool in your life and in your marriage and your decision making and how you handle sex and you know how, how you navigate with your finances. If you can keep this one word front and center when you read the Bible, God's goal of transforming you into who he created you to be through it will occur in your life life but not keeping this one, one word front and center all it's going to lead to is dead lifeless religion all it's going to lead to is this fe- seeming so detached from real life and real world all it's going to lead to is legalism with you and hypocrisy with you and this one word to keep front and center is application big idea for the day transformation comes through application Transformation comes through application. Transformation comes through application. At least according to Jesus. See, in in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Matthew records the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave called the Sermon on the Mount. And throughout this sermon, Jesus essentially was telling his followers what to practically do, not simply what to believe. See, Jesus, he made faith very practical because he knew that knowing simply doesn't make any difference. He knew it's what we do that makes all the difference. So throughout the sermon, it's essentially like he's saying, listen, if you want to live out your faith in God by following me, here's what that looks like. Here's what you do. And he was very, very, very practical. And then starting in chapter 7, verse 24, this is how Jesus concludes this whole sermon. Therefore, everyone who hears or reads, I might add, these words of mine and puts them into, what's the word? Practice, not theological categories or beliefs or knowledge, but practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. He's basically saying the illness came, the death came, the loss of the job came, the miscarriage came, and it beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And it's as if Jesus is saying, listen, if you want your faith in God to make a difference in your life, if you want to see God show up in your life and your dating relationships and in your finances and in your marriage and with your kids, in your home, if, if you want to be transformed into everything God created you to be, then apply what I have taught. See, so many people, maybe you, think that knowledge and information is what makes all the difference. And Jesus is going, no. You can have all the knowledge. You can have all the Bible knowledge. But if you don't do anything with it, it makes absolutely no difference. The reason the house didn't fall is not because they knew about the storms, it's not because they knew about construction, it's not because they knew how to build a house, it's because they actually built the house on the rock. Implication being from Jesus, that's the difference between knowing and applying my words. And then Jesus goes on. But everyone who hears or reads these words of mine and does not put them into, there that word is again, practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Listen, you and I, we can rack up more knowledge. We can rack up more Bible information and still be a fool. We can rack up all the Bible information we want. And still build our home, whatever your home may be in this parable, your moral home, your dating home, your relational home, your financial home, and have it be an absolute disaster. And then get on our knees and go, why, God? Why, God? And Jesus is going, because you missed the point. It's not about how much you know. It's, how, it's how you apply my words that make All the difference. See, Jesus didn't teach for information purposes. He wasn't satisfied with just saying what was true. Jesus taught for transformation purposes, for God to transform us more into who he created us to be. And according to Jesus, that comes through applying his, that comes through applying God's words. Once again, God's intended purpose for giving us this book is to lead us to Jesus, equip us to follow Jesus so that we're transformed By Jesus. And we don't follow Jesus by simply stacking up more Bible information and more Bible knowledge and more doctrine. We follow Jesus by applying what God has revealed through the writers of Scripture one next step at a time. The purpose of the Bible is not primarily for our information but for our transformation. But how do we properly read it through that lens? lens. And what I want to do is I want to give you three steps to engage with any passage that you might be reading through the lens of transformation instead of simply information. And some of you are note takers. You like to write this down and some of you aren't. But here's the deal. I think these three steps are so important. We have these on, on cards. When you walk out, you're going to get one of these cards. Take this card, keep it with you, put it in your Bible. Whenever you're reading a passage, just go through these three steps over and over and over again. The first step is observation. In this first step, you're essentially asking the question, okay, what do I see? What do I see? Observation is simply the process of collecting facts about who, what, when, where, why. Okay, where does this passage I'm reading fall? Is it within the Old Testament or the New Testament? It's important because if it's the, you know, remember the Old Testament is written to ancient Hebrews before Jesus. And the New Testament is written to the church after Jesus. You know, what kind of book is this is is this passage found within? If it's it's found within an Old Testament book, is that in a historical, a prophetic, or a poetic book? If it's found within the New Testament, is it a historic book or an epistle? And, you know, this is so important to know because, you know, the difference when you're reading a passage found in an Old Testament poetic book, which is a lot of imagery and allegory and, you know, things that should not be taken all the time very literally, Versus and a New Testament epistle, which is instruction that should be taken very literally. Like, you've got to read those two things very, very through a different lens to understand them fully. You know, who wrote the book? Who was the author of the book writing to? Why did the author write this book? What's going on in that culture with that group of people at that time? Observation is so important because if you don't collect accurate facts, you can't and won't properly do the next two steps of reading for transformation instead of information. By the way, if week one of this, of this series, I went through a lot of things that are really helpful for observation. If you weren't here or you forgot that, or even just as a refresher, go back, watch week one. It'll be very helpful for you in this step of observation. Second step is interpretation. In the second step, you're asking the question, what's the author's original intent? Now, oftentimes people, I'm sure none of you, but oftentimes people, when they read a passage, they look for hidden meanings. What's the hidden meaning in this passage? Or they try to make the passage say what they want it to say. Listen, that's not how we accurately interpret God's words. That's how we grossly distort God's words. You gotta know every book of the Bible was written by a specific author to a specific people in a specific cultural context for a very specific purpose. Which means to understand the meaning of any passage, it's gotta be interpreted through the author's original intent. So as you're reading, you go, okay, what's the content of the, the context of this passage? What book is it in? Where does it fall within the, you know, the, the, the certain book? What comes, you know, what are the sentences before and after this passage? You know, what, what did the author want the original audience to know, to do, or understand? Why did the he want the, the, you know, the the his original audience to know, to do that, or to understand that? If you don't know the author's original intent, you're gonna misinterpret the meaning of every passage. You're gonna distort the meaning of every passage. And when we do that, God won't use this book as a tool to transform our lives because we're misinterpreting his words. Now, I get it. Observation and interpretation, it can be challenging when you pick up a Bible for the very first time or if you're just not very familiar with the Bible. And so what I want to do is I just want to give you a few tips to help with these first two steps, to do these first two two steps more efficiently and effectively. Uh, First, select a Bible translation that's a good fit for you. You know, a lot of people have asked on social media throughout this series, like, hey, why so many translations of the Bible? We have the King James Version, the, you know, the International Version, the ESV, we have the NASV. Like, why so many translations? Like, is, you know, do they conflict with one another? Are they saying different things? Is there one that's better than the other? And real quick, just so you know why there's so many translations, what happens is the, 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 the Bible was originally written in three different languages. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so what happens, just like in any language, when you translate one word uh, from one language to another, that word can have a few different meanings with it. Furthermore... Uh, in, in every language, every language has a certain sentence structure with how they communicate, and when you translate to a different language, our, every language sentence structure is differently. so whenever it, you know we 're translating from Hebrew, Aramaic or Greek into English there's you know there's different ways to interpret the different words within the different sentence structures and how you put the sentence structure together in English. Every translation is trying to do its best job in doing that to translate the best sentence structure that 's easiest to understand in English and the best words based on the author's original intent. Some translations do better than others. The two best translations, in my opinion, that you can pick up today is the New International Version, the NIV, or the English Standard Version, the ESV. I love the it. NIV. It's why we, we use it. It's, it's the you know translation that we use to preach from here. I think the sentence structure is very easy to understand, and they uh, do have done a great job translating the original Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, or Greek. But for the sake of argument today, don't let a translation stand in the way of you understanding. Use whatever translation that you can read the easiest, and use multiple ones. Every day I read out of the ESV. I I, I love studying out of the ESV. But the ESV sometimes has the sentence structures hard to understand, which is why we don't preach with it. And sometimes I read it and I'm like, I have no idea. And so I'll go pick up my NIV Bible and I'll read the two different sentences, you know, the two di- verses in two different, you know, translations. I'm like, oh, it just helps bring it to life. I'm a pastor. I do that. You can do that. It's, it's okay. Just use multiple translations. My second tip for you would be to invest in a study Bible. Study Bibles are great. And here's why because on the first page of all 66 books of the Bible, there is an overview on the first page of that book that does, that tells you the who, what, when, where, and why. It does all the observation work for you. You just kind of, you kind of read and go, oh, I get it. And then, so cool, on every single page, there's footnotes on every single page about most verses that does the interpretation work for you. Now, once again, I recommend either the NIV Study Bible or the ESV Study Bible. I read out of the ESV Study Bible every single day. And here's my last tip for you to kind of observe and interpret better, if you want to, is to go through the uh, the Bible short-term group that we have here at Relevant. This is a six-week group to help you understand what the Bible is and how to use it. And by the way, in this six weeks, we spend one whole week on observation, on helping you observe more, and we spend one whole week on interpretation, on helping you interpret better. And so... This is a, be a great tool if you're like, I want to talk more, ask more, get more feedback, you know, help someone navigate with me through this. You can sign up for the next time we do this. You can sign up in August. Um, okay, so once properly, you've properly complete, completed observation and interpretation, you're ready for the most important step, according to Jesus anyway, which is application. And in this final step, you're asking the vitally important question, what should I do? Like, based on mean you know, My observation and my interpretation, you're asking this question, okay, God, what would you have me do? God, what would you have me do? And this is the most important question because, remember, the Bible, the purpose of the Bible is not primarily for our information but for our transformation. And transformation comes through application. If you apply it correctly. And from my experience, the number one factor that prevents many people from applying the Bible properly or a passage properly in the Bible is their confusion about how the Old Testament and the New Testament work together. Hopefully the past five weeks have helped, cl- helped clear up some of that confusion for you. But as we end this series today, you've got to remember this. That all scripture, all 66 documents, all 66 books that make up our Bible, all scripture is equally God's word. It's equally inspired. It's equally infallible. It's equally authoritative. It's equally powerful. It's e- all scripture is equally God's word. But not all scripture is equally applicable to you. Because only one section of it was written specifically to you. And that's the New Testament. We talked about this, that the Hebrew Scriptures... The, the, the law and prophets that we now call the Old Testament was written to ancient Hebrew people, not to us. The Old Testament outlines God's promises and covenants and laws with ancient Israel, not with us. The Old Testament is the backstory to Jesus' story, not to us. The, therefore, the Old Testament and New Testament have to be viewed and have to be applied differently. When it comes to applying the Old Testament, I just want to give two bits of instruction. That, instructions that the writer, writers of the New Testament gave us. And I don't normally do this. and normally just stick with one passage, a precept on one passage, but I'm going to hit a lot of different passages uh, today for you because I don't need to make this point. I want the writers of the New Testament to make this point. I mentioned this, 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 first, this first bit of instruction last week, but I want to explain a little bit more. View the Old Testament through the lens the new covenant you've got to know the day that jesus died then rose from the grave he fulfilled all the covenants and promises and laws that god made with ancient israel and through him god established a new covenant that's available to all people that's why the writers of uh, writer of hebrews wrote this but in fact the ministry jesus has received is superior To theirs, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. The writer of Hebrews is saying the new covenant inaugurated by Jesus' shed blood is superior to the old one given to ancient Israel. It is better promises. And then, within a few sentences, uh, a few sentences later, what the the writer of Hebrews said is astonishing. By calling this covenant new, he's made the first one. The first one that God gave to ancient Israel in our Old Testament. Wait for it. Wait for it. He made the first one. Obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated? Will soon disappear. The writer of Hebrews is saying the new covenant rendered the old one and everything associated with it obsolete. Now, some of you in this room right now are super uncomfortable because you never heard this before. Well, I didn't say it. The writer of Hebrew said it. Now, you got to know, obsolete doesn't mean bad. It just means something new and something better has come along. CDs d- didn't make tapes bad. They made tapes obsolete. And right now, CDs are about ready to become obsolete. Not bad, just obsolete. Why? Because something better has come along. Listen, God's covenant with Israel, God's old covenant with Israel was amazing. Because through it, God brought forth the Redeemer of the world. The Redeemer who shed blood would usher in a new covenant where everyone is offered the free gift of salvation, the free gift of forgiveness, the free gift of redemption, the free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus alone. By asking Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life, and it's a new covenant. He says it's a better covenant with better promises that makes the old one obsolete. You've got to know, Jesus treated the Hebrew scriptures as authoritative. Paul insisted that the Hebrew Scriptures were God-breathed. Peter believed the writers of the Hebrew Scriptures were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All the writers of the New Testament considered the Old Testament as Scripture. But they were all clear that the Old Covenant is not our covenant. It was not written to us. It was not given to us. Therefore, it's not binding on us now you got to know that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Some of us, you like, you know, grew up in church world, and you're like, "What?" It's hard for us to mi- wrap our minds around. But it's not nearly as hard for the as it was for the first f- first century Christ followers to wrap their mind around. Like you got about 15 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, this thing happened in Jerusalem called the Jerusalem Council. And kind of how this got set up is, you know, over the 15 years since Jesus, uh, you know. Over the past 15 years since Jesus' resurrection and ascension, all throughout the the Roman Empire, thousands and thousands of people were putting their faith in Jesus. The church was exploding throughout the Roman Empire, thousands, many of which were Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who knew nothing about the Jewish history, knew nothing about the Jewish law. Many of them were putting their faith in Jesus, but also many Jews who were under Jewish law were putting their faith in Jesus, well, what was happening is, as these two groups now were becoming part of the first century churches, it was creating a ton of tension and a ton of friction. And you can read about this story in Acts 15, by the way. You should go read this this week. A ton of tension, a ton of friction. And the Jewish Christ followers started telling the Gentile Christ followers, hey, you actually can't be saved if you don't follow the law of Moses. And they're going, wait a second, we didn't become Jewish, we became followers of Jesus. And it creates all this tension. So, the, so Peter and Paul and James, they meet in Jerusalem with some of the other apostles to go, what do we do about this? And they came to this conclusion. You know, they're talking about this. Do they have to follow the, the you know, do Gentile Christ followers have to follow the, you know, the Mosaic law? The Old Covenant Law. Like, do they have to? And they're like, no, that's ridiculous. They didn't become Jewish. They became followers of Christ. They were set free from that. It's not binding on them. And so what they did was they ended up writing a letter that circulated to, to, to Gentile Christ followers all throughout the Roman Empire. And in the letter, they basically said, you ain't got to do none of that. It's not binding on you. It, you, know, you. But we do ask that you do four things. Four, yeah, Four of the 600 plus laws and in command in the, Old, in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Scriptures. We ask that you do four of these. Not to, because it, your salvation depends on it. Not because this is what it means it looks like to follow Jesus. But because if you don't do these four things, these four things would be so offensive to the Jewish Christ followers, you will never get along. So we're going to ask you to do four things for unity purposes alone. Four of the 600 plus. That's it. Only four of the 600 plus they asked the first century Gentiles to, ju- to do not even, those four didn't even make the top 10. There weren't even ones of the, you know, one of the four in the, in the Ten Commandments. Only four of the 600 plus. And why? Because the old covenant, the law was not given to them. It was not written to followers of Christ. Therefore, it was not binding on them. Now, if you disagree with that. If you disagree with Peter and with Paul and with James and the writer of Hebrews, you disagree with me, that's fine. You disagree with that, I just have one piece of advice for you. And my piece of advice for you is quit cherry-picking what you like and don't like in the Old Testament. Quit choosing what is going to be binding and not binding on you or other people in the Old Testament. Quit quit saying, here's what I'm going to obey and not obey in the Old Testament. Because it's a big, big deal. And Paul explains why that is a big, big deal in Galatians 3. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law, basically any of the 600-plus laws and command that that God gave to ancient Israel, are under a curse as as it is written. And then Paul quotes a passage from the Old Testament book, book of Deuteronomy written by Moses himself, who, by the way, the law was given by God through Moses. So Moses knew a couple things. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Here's all this means. We don't get to pick and choose what we like and don't like when it comes to the Old Testament law. Or what we think is binding and not binding in the Old Testament law. It's either all binding or it's all not binding. At least according to Moses and at least according to Paul. Listen, not only does cherry picking, picking and, you know, picking and choosing, acting like some things are binding and some things aren't binding, not only does that lead to legalism, not only does that lead to dead religion for you and for others, but those who choose to do that are cursed by God. You decide what that means and if you'd like to have that. So you're like, well, should I even read it? Like, should I even read the Old Testament? Like, and my answer to you is, heck yeah, read it, baby. Read it and read it a lot because of what I said a few weeks ago that the Old Testament was not written to you, but man, it is for you. It's for you because it's the backstory to the story of Jesus and the new covenant that he made available to you. The more you understand the backstory, the more you're going to be in awe of what God did through Jesus for you. It's for you because of the timeless truths of God, timeless principles of God, timeless promises and attributes of God that you can't know otherwise. I love the Old Testament. And the more I read it, the more I love it. And the more I read it, the more I'm in awe of God and the lengths that he went to because of his love for us. And you will be too if you engage with it through the proper lens. So a great question when you're reading the old, through the Old Testament is this. What timeless truths, promises, or principles should I apply? What timeless truths, promises, or principles should I apply? The more you ask this p- question, the better you're going to engage with the Old Testament through the lens of the New Covenant. And the more you do that, the more that God's going to use this as a tool to transform you into who he created you to be. Now, the second bit of instruction that the writers of the New Testament would give us when it comes to engaging with the Old Testament, and the New Testament for that matter, is apply it through the filter of Jesus' New Covenant commands. And what was Jesus' new covenant command? Well, first you need to go back to when Jesus was being tested by a Jewish religious leader and this happened. He said, teacher, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? you know, hey, of all the 600 plus laws and commands in our Jewish scriptures, our the Hebrew scriptures, what's the greatest one that God requires of us? And Jesus replied. And then he quotes a passage from their scriptures, from the Hebrew scriptures. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And he's like, cool, got it. Make sure me and God are good. And Jesus goes on. And the second, It's like, whoa, I just asked for the greatest commandment, not the greatest commandments. And Jesus is like, I can't give you just one because the second goes to the first. You can't pull off the first without the second, so don't even try to. And the second is like it, which means equal to it in magnitude and significance. The second is not second in importance, it's just second in sequence. And then Jesus quotes another passage from their Hebrew scriptures from our Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says something of extraordinary significance. All. And you know how many all is? It's all. All the law and the prophets. Remember, that's how the first century Jews referred to their Hebrew scriptures. All the law and the prophets. Hang on, these two commandments. According to Jesus, these two commands summarize every conceivable application of all the commands that God gave to the nation of Israel. Our Old Testament. It's like you're saying, hey, from now on, you prove and you demonstrate and you authenticate your love for God by how you love other people. You cannot do the vertical without doing the horizontal. And Jesus could have stopped there, but Jesus didn't come to add something new onto the Jewish religion. He came to start a new movement by establishing a new covenant with the new people whom he called the church who lived by a new command. And he gives this new covenant command at the end of his ministry when he's gathered together his disciples at what we now call the Last Supper. And he says, a new command I give you. They're like, only God can give new commands. And he's like, yep, and here I go. Love one another. And they're going, that's not new. We've heard you say that before. And he goes, hold up. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, what Jesus did here is crazy. It's extraordinary. He anchored a new command not to the temple, not to the law, not to Moses, but to himself. He's saying, as I have loved you, as, as, as I have loved you I want you to love every person. I want you to love every person not how they deserve to be loved, not how you want to love them, not how they even first loved you. But instead, I want you to love them just as I first loved you. And then the next day, Jesus put on a demonstration that took their breath away because it took his breath away. The next day, Jesus died on the cross for their sin and for your sin and for, and for my sin. And Jesus now looks at you and he says, love just like that. And he goes on by this one thing loving as i first loved you everyone will know that you're one of my disciples one of my followers if you love one another it's just awesome jesus in matthew 22 took the entire old testament he reduced it to two commands and then here he gives a new covenant command to his followers and jesus said that this kind of love is to be the brand it's to be our brand as his followers that it's to mark us that it will mark us as his followers, which means this is what's to mark us, not baptism or how we do communion or the songs we sing or the prayers that we pray or how much Bible knowledge we have, our love, loving others, how he first loved us, is to be our brand. And then Paul, Paul comes along and goes, hey, in case you missed it, in case you forgot, I want to clarify everything Jesus said just a little bit more. I, 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 when it comes to application, Jesus' new covenant command is the filter to use, especially when it comes to que- questions about how to apply what's in the Hebrew Scriptures. And he says it like this in the letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. The commandments. The commandments. And then Paul lists four of the big ten. These these next four, they're all on the the Ten Commandments. Let me just give four of them to you. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not covet. And whatever other command there may be, all the other 600-plus laws and commandments in the Hebrew Scriptures are all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does because love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law, the entire Hebrew Scriptures, saying every command command God gave to, to ancient Israel in the Old Testament can be subbed up in Jesus' one New Covenant command. He's basically saying love fulfills what the law demands. Love fulfills what the law demands, and Paul's point is so. Ultra clear. When you're not sure what to say or do, love as Jesus first loved you. When you're not sure what to say or do, love as Jesus first loved you. Now imagine, I just want you to imagine if we got that one thing right. We spend so much time focused on all of our questions and sitting around and trying to just ask and 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 ask, and ask all of our questions and arguing over all of our issues and debating and fighting over all of our freaking issues yet we forget this one thing Jesus is going you think knowledge has anything to do with this knowledge means nothing if you don't do what i have said you can rack up the knowledge and get your questions answered and debate and fight all day long and still be a fool who builds their house on the sand until you do what I have commanded you to do. Can you imagine if we got that one thing right? Can you imagine if you started loving people on social media better than putting all your, come on. Can you imagine the difference in making your marriage and in your family and in our church? Can you imagine the difference in making you because everybody wants to go deeper I just want to go deeper we know what we mean by that I want to experience God's presence more I want to understand the deeper things of God's more I want to have the life that only he can give more and we think knowledge is what makes that difference it's like Jesus would say like you want to go deeper then follow me And how do you follow me? By doing this one thing. You want to go deeper? Go love the most unlovable person you can find, and you'll begin to experience my presence on a deeper level. Whoo! That should make us all stop in our tracks. All right, I'm off my high horse. As a wrap up this series, Here's what I do. I want to invite all of us to begin doing wherever you're at. You never picked up a Bible before. You don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. You got to have your questions, issues, all that stuff. I want to invite you to be doing four things with the Bible. Whoever you are, start doing these four things with the Bible. First, read it. Read it. This book, man, it's God breathed. And his words are as living and active now as the day he inspired the writers of Scripture. God wants to use this as a tool to transform you and your life. But it cannot happen if you don't read it. So read it. But read it for transformation instead of information. Observation, application, interpretation. Nope. Observation, interpretation, application. Observation, interpretation, application. Grab one of these cards when you walk out and... Yep. Yep. Grab one of these cards when you walk out and remember that. Now, really, two, two helpful tools I, I want to give you real quick that you can have on your phone that's going to help you do this so much better is the Uversion app and the Read Scripture app. The YouVersion app and the Read Scripture app. These apps are filled with different translations and devotionals and reading plans and subject-specific reading plans and explainer videos that help you observe and interpret. So just come up with a plan and stick with it. Observation, interpretation, application. Secondly, learn it. Learn it at Relevant, we are committed to practical biblical teaching. We're committed to teaching the never-changing truths of the Bible in a way that's relevant and applicable to our ever-changing lives. We're committed to making faith practical. We're committed to teaching the Bible in a way that inspires and empowers people to follow Jesus. And John talked about it earlier. This is why we're always encouraging you, make Sunday gatherings a priority. To learn it. for To be in this room for practical, learn it for practical, biblical teaching. It's why we're always encouraging you kids, you get your kids and students to get in the kids and student environments so you can learn it. Practical, biblical teaching. So make it a priority to continue to learn it. And then this is the really important one. Apply it. you got to apply it. God did not give us the Bible as a textbook for information but as a tool for our transformation. So be relentless about applying it because transformation comes through application. But apply it through the proper lens as people under a new covenant and then finally live it. Above all, filter and apply everything through Jesus' new covenant command to love others just as he first loved you. When you're not sure what to say or do, love as Jesus first loved you. When you run into a question or issue, love as Jesus first loved you. And listen, if you listen to nothing else I said all day, hear me when I say this. If you have a ton of Bible knowledge, but do not love, you are not following Jesus and applying the Bible correctly. You can get the Bible right, but if you get love wrong, you're wrong. You can get the Bible information right, but if you and I do, if you and I love wrong, we're wrong. So let me ask you, do you want to be transformed to who God created you to be? Like you want to experience Him more. You want to grow in your faith more. You want to go deeper. You want to experience a type of life and hope and peace and joy that only He can give. Well, what's your next step when it comes to the Bible? Read it. Learn it. Apply it. Live it. Because that's the primary way God transforms us and in more into who He created us to be. Listen, you're always going to have questions with the Bible. You're always going to have issues with the Bible. I'm 40. I've been a pastor for Many, many, many years and I still have questions and I still have issues. But the more you're the more transformed by God you are, I can promise you, the less significant your issues and your questions with the Bible will become. And the more that you will realize how good this book truly is.